Thank you for joining us today for the Military Family Research Institute podcast. I'm your host, Sadie Erquitz. Today, we welcome Bob and Joyce Miles, Purdue alumni, advocates, and advisory council members of the Center for Families at Purdue University. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you for inviting us. As you know, MFRI is an initiative of Center for Families, thanks in part to the Lilly Endowment, Inc., the Department of Defense, and others who saw a need for research, outreach, and programming on military and veteran families. A little bit more about the Center for Families. It was established to provide a way for faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends of Purdue to work to improve the quality of life for families. It serves as a catalyst to integrate outreach, teaching, and research activities that support families and increase and enhance collaboration among academic disciplines, employers, educators, policymakers, human service professionals to bring about change focused on families. We'll just start off by having you introduce yourselves. I'm Joyce Miles. I came to Purdue first as a 15-year-old or 16-year-old 4-H'er. And so my idea was always to return to Purdue as a student. I lived in North Manchester and my parents had other ideas because Manchester College was there. But fortunately, I had a wonderful mentor, a 4-H agent, who said, Joyce belongs at Purdue. I came here um, as a freshman. I stayed in Twin Pines Cooperative House for four years. While on campus, in addition to Twin Pines activities, I was a Purdueette for four years and sang with the Purdue Musical Organization. In addition to Twin Pines, I was a scholarship student, so you'll see uh, here later in the podcast why we're so interested in supporting students. My major was home economics education. I wanted to be an extension educator or 4-H agent. Once we married after college and moved to Jacksonville, Florida, there were no extension jobs. So I took a teaching job and for seven years I was in the classroom. I had high school first and then I had a gigantic school that had 7 through 12 had over 4,000 students, which was almost bigger than my hometown. (laughs) I moved on from that and spent almost 25 years of my professional career as an administrator in the school system in Jacksonville, Florida. I retired at a pretty young age of 54, and since retirement, my life has had many twists and turns. I've spent a lot of time with women in philanthropy, which we'll discuss a little bit later as we talk about why and how we support the Center for Families. Go ahead, Bob. Well, I'm Bob Miles. I graduated with a BS in civil engineering. As Joyce did, I lived in a co-op. I lived at Fairway for four years. I was selected for the Reamer Club, which I was surprised at. That's an independent men's service organization that most people know of as in charge of the Boilermaker Special and Purdue Spirit. I did receive a scholarship my junior and senior year for basically 50% of the cost. And along with that scholarship, uh, was allowed me to, to uh, attend Purdue and working every Christmas vacation and spring vacation and summer vacation. Being a first-generation student, my Purdue degree meant a great deal to me, and that carries on later when we talk about uh, our dedication to students. But most importantly, I met this young lady who has been the love of my life for over 53 years. Upon graduation, I accepted a position with Seco Steel Products Corporation in Chicago, which incidentally was the company that gave me my scholarship, although I had no obligation to go with the company, but I felt it was a good fit, and it turned out to be a good fit for 27 years. I eventually was transferred to Jacksonville, Florida, where we spent 40 years, and I spent 27 years with Seco. 
progressing from sales engineer to regional manager of three offices in Florida, and then left Seco and purchased a small independent manufactured rep business, which I had for 11 years. After selling it, we actually moved to North Carolina. Can you explain your passion towards student support and professional growth? Well, I think we stated earlier, because Bob was first generation uh, college student. I happened to be third generation, so I had high expectations for my family that I would attend school. We both knew that we had had tremendous support from the greater community that gave us our scholarships and allowed us to attend Purdue to begin with and then to leave Purdue without having a huge debt. And so we knew today students had even greater expenses than we ever thought about in attending a four-year university, even as you know, state schools, college like uh, Purdue. So we felt like it was what we ought to do to pay it forward. Well, and I was going to go back to my life path a little bit. We have no children of our own. In, in addition to my time at Purdue and my vocational careers that we talked about, I volunteered through Kiwanis Key Club, which is Kiwanis's service organization for high school children, 4-H Foundation, and Big Brothers and Sisters. So even during my career and beyond that, it's all been involved with youth and seeing the youth grow in, in all those various positions. So I think that was you know very satisfying to mentor those and to see the, the young people and how they develop and, and what happens. And a perfect example of that is our first, we've had a scholarship student, I don't know, eight or nine years, but the one that just graduated last year was the first one that we had for four years, all the way from freshman through senior. Sure. That's a great milestone yeah. to have someone to mentor for four years and right. really start to possibly finish, like right. you could think of it that way. And it's like he mentioned, it hasn't always been that easy. I mean, we've always wanted to reach out but I, I think maybe young people might be a little suspect of adults our age or their grandparents' age actually actually being genuinely interested in their lives. And so we now that we've moved back to Lafayette, uh, we're 15 minutes from campus. So it's much easier to meet more often. We meet on campus as often as they'll meet with us. People act sometimes like that what we do is unusual, but I can't imagine people giving money for a scholarship as long as they're alive and not wanting to know about that student and care about them because there's so much more that on a personal basis that we can give that they would never receive through the scholarship part of it. I, I think it's our way of paying forward to some extent because these, these young people are the ones who are going to be running our country they're going to be voting on the laws and the policies that govern families, for one thing. We just plain want to be involved in their lives. And I think our passion shows a little bit because people really think it's funny where we move from Florida to North Carolina to Indiana when everybody <laughs> else is doing the opposite. But the reason we moved is to be back at Purdue and to be, up, to be involved in the Purdue activities. That's a true Boilermaker, for sure. <laughs> right. Sometimes we're on and off campus several times a day. Well, it means so much to the students to have a personal touch with someone who's supporting their academic success. I can't imagine that being a bad thing for any student. I think sometimes the students hesitate before they text us or whatever, but once they realize that we're serious about showing up, um, I work with the young women at Twin Pines and they too uh, will text me and say, are, are you busy? Can you talk right now? Or can we meet this afternoon? And 
you know, I always say thank you for calling me. Don't ever hesitate. If, if I can't do it, I'll tell you. So it sounds like you've been in this advocate role for such a long time. But during that time, you've also continued to support the Center for Families. Tell us what led you to your focus and your time and efforts for the Center for Families. I think it has to go back as far as 1993. But it was um, a Felker leadership conference that was here. Dean Felker was a former dean of consumer and family science, and he initiated these leadership conferences to honor his wife. And the focus initially was women in philanthropy. So I was being honored in 1993 as an outstanding alum for consumer and family science, and I came back to one of these Felker conferences. And the speaker talked about women in giving and asked us to add up how much money we gave over a year and then multiply at times how many years they thought we had left to live and then looked at the money and said, do you feel wealthy now? You know, it's not, you might not think it's very much, but, and then they gave us an imaginary million dollars and said, what would you do with this million dollars? And how would you give it away? And at lunchtime, Lorene Burkhart spoke up and said, well, I could do that. And she did gave a million dollars to start the Center for Families. So that was to be, I mean, I saw the birth of it to begin with, but I think the real focus that helped bring us together was the speaker at that meeting talked about three things that ended up driving our giving focus. And one of them was to give to your passion. And of course, families had always been our passion. But then the Center for Families focused that. The other thing was to give uh, in a focused area. In other words, not scattershot, you know, $50 here and, you know, a little bit here, but to give a focused give. And the third part of it was to stay involved where your money's going. So after hearing that charge from the, the woman who was talking about women in philanthropy, it made sense for us to support the Center for Families. But the other piece of that is supported similarly to the scholarships, and that is wanting to give now so we could see it actually in action. We were at a Center for Families advisory meeting, and they were talking about undergraduate research. We came home and thought about that and said, well, we could support that right now. It didn't have, it wasn't a large amount, and that we could do that while we were still living and realize how that, that. and so that was then how we started supporting the undergraduate uh, research. Well, and when you, and that was just a $500 flow-through donation, but when you met the the teacher and the young lady that received that for one of the years and realized what they did with autism for $500, it was just absolutely amazing. And the other reason, at least that I've always said about Center for Families, I always heard about research. You know, they do all this thing and get this big binder and it goes up on the shelf and that never happens. That's not the way it is with Center for Families. The research gets put into action almost immediately and that's, that's one of the things that I really, really turns me on with Center for Families. Well, another piece of this goes back to Dean Felker. He had a profound statement about families that Shelley has actually adopted, but strong, healthy families are crucial to our nation's health and strength. No culture has been able to provide anything better than the family for producing strong individuals for the journey of life. For this reason alone, we must assure their continuing positive presence. So, powerful. Yes, it was powerful. 
that many years ago and it still makes sense today. So I want to ask you a follow-up question. Looking back on your time at Purdue as students, did you have opportunities to participate in research? No, we didn't. And I think that is, you know, 50 some years later, modern colleges and universities now are very, very concerned about students getting undergraduate research opportunities. And so that was another reason why we hadn't had a chance to do that. And so we saw now students were being encouraged to do it, but then it was only limited by the amount of money that was available to help support the faculty to do it. And same thing with the study abroad was not was not ever even mentioned in our purviews. It's neat to see how uh, life changes, of course, right. and opportunities that are readily available now based on what people like you do. Right. So thank you for that. In MFRI's nearly 20 years of existence, we've supported and employed 250 students in a variety of capacities. This could be undergraduate research, marketing, programming, and event planning, and a lot of other ways, too. When you decided to support the Center for Families, did you think your gift would expand to an initiative like MFRI, the Family Impact Institute, or other initiatives CFF has partaken in? I don't, I don't think we did. It was interesting, out of those 250 students, one of them was actually a scholarship student of ours. We found out that when we were notified of our scholarship, why, I think Shelly said, well, she works for us. So there was a, you know, a joint thing that we could actually you know, share this student. But I don't know that we had any vision. I think, again, that was a pretty big trust factor in um, the way the Center for Families was designed. We knew that Shelley wouldn't always be the director, but that there was enough precedent set that whoever came behind her would also continue that same process of doing research that would impact families, the Family Impact Seminar. As long as we have legislators, that will definitely be important. Well, I'm a, I'm a veteran, and I really appreciate what you're doing with MORFI. Uh, and, and obviously, the, the military is going to continue. So that those needs are going to be there forever, and the more you can can do with the research that you're doing, uh, the better it's going to be down the road. And so I think, even though we had no idea of that kind of expansion, it obviously fits right into Center for Families. One other thing, I think, when we announced our major gift to Purdue, and this was back 2006, sometimes you think that you can't compete with the the Bindleys and the Burks and even the Hanleys who built this building that, you know, your gift is never going to be as big as those. But when you look at it and you think about every single person who works in those buildings comes from a family and goes home to a family at night and needs the support of family research that all of a sudden it doesn't look too bad that your money is eventually going to support the family and strengthening the families and sending the workers and the researchers to do that. That's a great perspective to have. This year is a special time for Purdue. It's celebrating its sesquicentennial, or its 150th anniversary. It's even more exciting because the Center for Families will be 25 this year, and MFRI will be 20. As alumni who are active in giving back to the university, what does it mean for you to be part of its history and its legacy? I'm very, very interested in historical perspective, and I think we've studied the history of Purdue to some extent. We have a lot of the books that have been written. Um, I don't know that we appreciated it as students. And of course, the rumors are one of the 
carriers of history. for carriers of history and, and school spirit and whatever. So, and I, I think we were excited about how much the university was um, expending in terms of time and energy to come up with the 150th, uh, the giant leaps concept, and then the, the various uh, things that are going on throughout the university that will support that. Um, it's amazing. And we're here to be able to take part. Part in yes. it, right. That's right. We could be here every day. I am getting ready to go into the archives myself to look up Virginia Meredith, who was the first woman trustee of Purdue. And I'm thinking about portraying her as part of the 150th years. To tag on a little bit to what it looks like the next 150 years, it's hard to say what will happen for the Center for Families or MFRI. Looking back, how has the structure of family evolved? And what areas of research about families would you like to see students focus on? I think, obviously, the structure of families has changed tremendously in the next 25 years. will probably even change more. And I know we think, oh, it can't get any more different or convoluted than it is. I used to teach child development, and we used to talk about the definition of family was wherever you went at night and they let you in. And that hasn't changed. You know, in regardless of what today we say makes up a family, it's still wherever you go at night and they let you in. In terms of research, there are two things that, that come to mind that have been part of the scan that I've done on, on literature and on public policy. One of them has to do with research about the positive effects of family meals. The second piece of research that I would hope, and there, there are some pieces out there now, I think it's just it's one of those things I think we've been had before we knew we were uh, in trouble, and that is the electronic devices and our children. You know, we now have 18-month-old children that are quite adept at manipulating all kinds of devices. And not everything that happens is negative, but there are pieces of research that are saying too much screen time is not good. Uh, it replaces other things that are more developmentally appropriate. And so hopefully there'll be some more research when we finally have more longitudinal uh, time to look at, you know, we haven't had these devices long enough to realize that they are really making an impact. Thank you for joining us today. Learn more about the Center for Families at purdue.edu forward slash CFF, or for additional information on ways to support military and veteran families, visit mfri.purdue.edu.